Christ is the Lamb of God. Christ is the forgiveness. He is the priest. He is the King. And He is forever our hope. Are you in? Well, it's great to be here with you. It's great to be here uh, in person with you guys and worshiping. It's great to have you joining us on live stream there. And man, this is all about Jesus Christ. We are going after making much of Him. We're in a series here called Greater, Jesus, My Sacrifice. And we're walking through the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10. In fact, we're coming into chapter 10 here now. So we're turning the corner, coming towards the end of this series and uh, just learning all that it means that Jesus Christ is our sacrifice, that his blood can pay for what we owe, that we can have life and life eternal. And there is no one and no thing other than Christ that could have done that for us. Jesus is our hope. He is greater. Everybody just say, he is greater. And he is greater, and that's what we're celebrating as we walk through this. Now, as we jump into Hebrews chapter 10 here, as we've said several times over, right, the author of the book of Hebrews is writing to Jewish people. And so this is written right at the time of Christ. People have just come to trust in Christ. It's uh, just a decade or so after Jesus' death and resurrection. And so there's some understanding from them of what the Old Testament is and trying to understand who Christ is. And they're trying to figure figure out the difference and the equals and all of that. And really the author of Hebrews here is saying, look, it's really important you understand Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. All of the laws, all of the rituals, all of the steps, all of those things are shadows. They're pointing to Jesus Christ. He is the substance. The author making clear that, which means he's going to deal a lot with the Old Testament, trying to help them understand how Jesus is the fulfillment. Everything in the Old Testament fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Everybody say, it's fulfilled. Right. It's really important that we grasp that. It's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so, uh, again, as I've said, I'm kind of your, um, if you will, I'm your trailer. I'm explaining to you a little bit today of what you'll need to know from the Old Testament. So we'll bring back just a little bit of what we need to know and understand there so that today makes a little more sense as we walk through the book of Hebrews as he keeps pointing back into the Old Testament to point forward to Christ. So we need to make sure we grasp a little of that Old Testament before we dive in. So that said, as the trailer here, just a little bit of explanation. We've already been through this several times over, but remember, uh, the laws gave guidance to sacrifice. There was uh, animal sacrifices. There was goats and lambs and doves and these blood sacrifices that were covering sin. And it's really important that we recognize they needed to bring that on a regular basis. Whenever they had sin in their life, they had to come forward and get that dealt with, right? It wasn't let it sit for forever. They dealt with it when it was appropriate and trying to get that done. That meant coming fairly often with some sort of sacrifice in whatever way that meant. That said, we also have to remember though that what they were coming for was these very physical things, right? The law talks about very physical elements like um, do not murder. Like that's a good command, right? And, it, and so part of what they had to do was not murder someone, now, Jesus actually upped the ante in the New Testament. Jesus said, look, if you hate someone in your heart, that's the same as murder. That is a thunderous problem for the Jewish people because part of what they were living out was a very physical set of rules. 
Like as long as I don't, you know, take gold and shape and craft some sort of idol and put it in my living room, well then I haven't placed another idol or God before my God, right? And it's not about a heart that got distracted away. It's just about, did you actually manufacture this idol? Did you actually go next door to your brother's house and kill him? Like, no, I didn't do that. Phew, I don't have to manage that. It wasn't asking questions about how did you feel about your brother? How are you managing those emotions? How are you handling this before God? That's a whole nother level. So what they actually were bringing before God was very physical faults. Can you imagine now, even in that, having some regularity of mistake? And so even across the year, there was at the end of the year, the high priest would come and actually was sacrificing there for all the mistakes of sin, the sins they didn't even know were sins, right? And they were trying to cover those physical mistakes. So there's all these physical elements they were managing. Even then, they had the shortcomings and had to bring the sacrifices, but how much less they had to bring because they weren't managing just every heart wrong. Really, for them, the sins were the physical externals, not what was inside. It was Christ walking it in that said, now I'm going to change it. I'm telling you that what goes on in the heart is also equal to it. If you look at a woman wrongly, that's the same as an affair. Can you imagine the response of the Jewish people that, whoa, what did you just say to me? How much do I have to manage? How many sheep am I going to have to bring? How does this all come down? They had a ritual taking place with a lot of just physical external rules, and it happened over and over and over and over and over, and that was hard to manage. Now Christ is walking in, and what goes on inside matters too, not just what goes on outside. That's what we're going to walk through. And and so that said, they had this life of repetition, the over and over and over again about the physical stuff. Can you imagine how hard it would be for them to then hear from the author of Hebrews that it isn't about these sacrifices. It isn't about the blood of the animals. That's not what gets it done. It's Jesus once and for all, and then it's covered, done. In Jesus Christ, covered if you come to him and believe in him. Can you imagine how hard with all the repetition over and over and over, how hard it would be to accept this statement? So to be able to help that, the author of Hebrews actually says it is about Jesus. He is the substance. And he says it over and over and over and over again. So as you notice, when we dive into this passage, it's going to be some similar content that we've already been seeing. He is helping them get clear that where they've been, that mindset does need to shift. And it is all about what's going on in the heart. God has a plan. And all of God's people said, amen, man, that's a big hope. All right. So that's where we're headed today. Turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 10. Starting in verse 1, Hebrews chapter 10, as we get going, and point number one says, see the reminder of Jesus and our hope in his once for all sacrifice. See our reminder of Jesus and our hope in his once for all sacrifice. He starts out here, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities... It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, it can never make perfect those who draw near. 
Let's just hold it right there. He says, for since the law is but a shadow of the good things to come, the law is just a shadow. Like the Old Testament things were pointing to Jesus Christ. They were shadows. They were lookalikes. They were flat 2D gray elements compared to the greatness that is in Christ, right? We have these animal sacrifices. And man, the animal sacrifices were not actually bringing the forgiveness of sin. In fact, we see in Romans 3.25 what was happening is they were trusting in God. God himself was setting aside those sins until the time of Christ, and it was Christ's sacrifice, Christ's blood alone that brings the real forgiveness of sin. So there's a setting aside of the sin until the time of Jesus. And these were all shadows of things going on, pointing to Jesus himself as the hope. Shadows. And it's really important that we get that. It's just a shadow. Everybody say, it's just a shadow. And it really helps you to understand the Old Testament more when you start to grasp Those are shadows looking forward to Christ and pointing there. At best, it's 2D flat. Imagine, if you will, like you walk into a room and there's like a Christmas tree up and it's got all the colors and the lights on it and it's got the ornaments and everything. And somebody's like, man, check out this Christmas tree. Doesn't this look great? And as you're looking at it, there's actually a porch light that's on outside and the porch light is coming through and it's casting a shadow of the Christmas tree onto the ground. And you can kind of see the shape of the tree and some of the ornament kind of shapes on it, right? And somebody's like, man, check out this tree. And then you turn to the shadow and you're like, wow. Look at this shadow. Like it's amazing. Look at the shape of the tree, a nice wide, thick tree. And you can kind of see this little rounded ornament on the side. That's amazing there. And look at the star up on top and you just stare at the shadow. Everybody say, that's kind of dumb. Right? Who's going to stare at the shadow when the thing is right in front of you? Look up at the tree and say, whoa. Look at what I have in front of me. That's what the author is saying. You have the substance right in front of you. You have Jesus Christ. He is the fullness, the 3D stunning awesome. Don't keep staring at the shadows, right? That's where we're at. Okay. He says, for since the law is but a shadow of the good things to come. The law did reflect good things in what was going to come. The law was showing God's plan in some various ways. And it says there were some good things in it. Like what? Well, like we've already talked about, the forgiveness of sin that comes in Jesus Christ. Not just the setting aside, but the true forgiveness and coverage of sin. The fact that we would have a priest on our behalf, a priest who would come for us daily, regularly, all the time available. He is defending us. He is protecting us. He is there for us in the here and now. He is raising us up and bringing us into glory and forever will be our great high priest in absolute perfection. Praise be to God for that. And that we could have uh, actually a presence in God's presence. And this is a huge deal. In the Old Testament, there was distance and only a few could be in the presence of God. And those were called priests and everybody else had to have the distance and just manage the sin of yesterday, right? But the reality is we see in scripture, we now, if we have trusted in Christ, are called priests. We can enter into the very throne room of the glory of the greatness of Jesus Christ and God the Father. We can be stunned with who he is. Your prayer life can be you entering his greatness. Don't miss it. Man, the curtain is torn wide open and we have access. Everybody just say we have access. 
And that is a huge hope in Jesus Christ and a good thing that was indicated in the Old Testament and lived out in Jesus Christ. And we can worship him with joy and peace and full restoration. And that's what's coming in Jesus Christ. Good things that the law reflected on, but that Jesus is the fulfillment of. We have that in Jesus Christ. It says, since the law is a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, the true form of these realities, everybody just say, that's in Jesus. That's in Jesus that he's talking about this stuff. All this Old Testament stuff was pointing forward to understanding life in Jesus Christ. It says, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, can never make perfect those who draw near. It can never, everybody say never. Like, dude, that's a big deal. When you see scripture saying the word never, that's a wake-up call. Like, check out what it's talking about. That is a huge, thunderous, absolute statement. Never. It doesn't say it could sometimes do this, but most of the time it doesn't. It's not saying that. It can never, ever, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, if you go to the Old Testament and you follow the ritualistic law, if you bring your lambs for the external sins you've accomplished, for the things that you needed to have covered, if you go over and over and over it, what you're actually doing is looking back and having that sin set aside, but what you were not doing is having your heart begin to be transformed. Not happening. It was in the moment just a set aside, but not a transformation. In fact, it says here, those uh, offerings that are continually offered every year, it can never make perfect those who draw near. Ritualistic coming before God with some sort of sacrifice according to Old Testament law was never addressing the heart problem. There was never a moment of transformation going on. They were living in some sort of trust before God. They were acting some things out that were a model or a shadow of what was to come. But what wasn't happening is the presence of the Holy Spirit, His glory pouring on, heart being transformed, one degree of glory to the next, transformation. In Jesus Christ, we have something stunning with the presence of God with us and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, our heart literally being changed to be more like Jesus Christ, headed for perfection, headed to be more like him. Not because we're so awesome, because he's so awesome. The privilege we have under Christ, New Testament, is not just looking backward at the sin and trying to address it. Please hear me, Old Testament law looked backward. Thank you for what you've done. Sorry for what I've done. All of it was looking backward. But in Jesus Christ, there is a looking backward, shutting that down, thanking God for what's been done and praising him, apologizing for sin that needs to go. But more than that, in the present, crying out for him and him beginning to do a changing work in me, my heart shifting to be more like him, his miracle work on me. And over the course of time, more and more growth till we get home to eternity, stunning perfection forever. Jesus Christ has yesterday, today, and forever managed. The law manages yesterday. We have hope in Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Dude, that's a thunderous deal. For us to grasp that in Jesus Christ, we have yesterday, today, and forever 
being managed by him. It says we're allowed to draw near with confidence and hope we can come into the presence of the almighty king because Jesus Christ has paid the price. Praise be to God. You know, I'll just pull back a quote from what we used a couple weeks back when we talked about it, but um, speaking of the law, rules offer clarification, not transformation. Rules offer clarification, not transformation. When we bring a boundary to somebody, we make it clear what we're expecting, but it doesn't change the heart inside. Rules offer clarification, not transformation. Every parent in here knows this truth to be so true. As you talk to your child and you say, hey, here's the rules, here's the boundaries. You make it very clear what the rules are. You've set the expectation up, but it doesn't in that moment, just because they've heard the rule, they're not like, that's it. I have this thunderous change in my heart and I now grasp exactly what you want and I'm headed right where you're going. My heart's been transformed because I heard the rule. Like, that's not what it is. And all of God's parents said... Like, that's not it. Rules don't change us. And it doesn't matter how much we hear the rule. That's not where the change comes from. It comes from the power of God in us, him doing a changing work, one degree of glory at a time. As we behold his glory, he shapes us. Don't behold the rule. Behold your God and let him rock your world. That's where the hope is at, right? He says, otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Like if these offerings in the Old Testament that were done over and over and over again, why wouldn't it have just stopped? If it was making their heart perfect, there's a point where there wouldn't have been more sinning. It would have been fading down to the point where they're like, that's it, we've got it done, we're perfect, it's managed. And no, it wasn't shaping or changing them. It wasn't helping in that regard and it didn't take anything away. It says, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. And I'm just going to tell you this, I really camped on this week. This one kind of shocked me a little in what it said, I'll be honest. It says, they would no longer have had any consciousness of sin. Part of the healing work that God is doing with sin should, have, should include the removal of the consciousness of sin, if you want to say it that way. And we've got to take this in and really let this settle for a moment. Because I think all too often we live in an Old Testament style with God about sin, not a New Testament style. So let's just talk it for a moment. Um, I just put it this way, top three things that happen with the true removal of sin, okay? Top three things that happen with the true removal of sin. Uh, Here we go, number one, the awareness of my brokenness ends up being managed, right? The awareness of my sin. Like that is something that ends up being removed and dealt with. This consciousness of sin, the awareness of my sin begins to fade because God is doing a healing work. Maybe if you want to put it another way, the word shame. The shame I carry as I have this weight of sin begins to fade because God is doing a work. Awareness of that sin, awareness of, and the shame removal. That's the first thing that happens in God doing a real work with sin. Second, uh, your value system starts shifting. You literally start seeing things differently now. You literally start to value what God values more. You start to head towards what he's headed for more. Your value system is improving and aligning more with Jesus Christ. That happens too. 
Yes, the awareness shifts, and yes, the value begins to shift. And then third, the desire to follow that value. Your desires shift. It literally starts to change your behavior. Less sin, more worship. That's what goes on. Man, all too often, I think we approach sin. I'm just going to be really direct, all right? We as the church, we as people individually, we approach sin where we say, God, I know it's wrong. Please forgive me. We're looking at yesterday. I know it's wrong. I know it needs to be covered. Please cover it. Please forgive me. We're dealing with yesterday, but we never let it affect our today and our tomorrow. Man, as we come after our God and worship him, let your approach to your king affect your yesterday, your today, and your tomorrow. May it affect your awareness, the shame and tearing that down and healing up. May it affect your today with the giving of value system that changes and change where you're headed, your desires and what you go after. Truly, when we address our sin rightly before our God, it affects our yesterday, our today, and our tomorrow, not just our yesterday. And all of God's people said, it's a huge deal. And it's big that it does address our yesterday. There's nothing wrong with having it affect our yesterday and our shame element being put in Christ. That's awesome, but there's so much more. I just wrote these words down about shame. Shame is a self-inflicted wound. Shame is a self-inflicted wound. And let that settle for a moment. When we're feeling the weight of something, the shame of something, I'm not talking about an appropriate understanding of something wrong. Shame, like we start to declare self unworthy. Shame is a self-inflicted wound that is caused by standing on my own goodness all the while knowing it's not enough. Shame. I'm trying to stand on my own goodness, but all the while I know it comes up woefully short. And that's the source of shame. May we stop standing in our own goodness knowing it's coming up short. May we stand on Jesus Christ and all that he is. And as he starts to do a healing work, he'll tear that shame down and heal that wound. And he'll walk us forward with a new value system and a new desire system. One degree of glory at a time. May God do an amazing work in our hearts as we lay our sin before him. And all of God's people said, he says, but in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. Like, can you imagine? All they had was rinse and repeat, look back, know that it's fixing nothing for the future, but you still are broken, sorry. That's what was in their hands. Huge, huge coming up short. It was a covering, but that was about it. He says, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Now, we went through a verse a couple weeks back and it said something similar, but almost the exact opposite. It says, there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. There is no forgiveness without blood. And then this says that there is no blood of bull or goats that will take away sin. There is no blood of bull or goat that takes it away, but it requires blood for the forgiveness. The only blood that brings forgiveness is the blood of Jesus Christ. It is him and him alone. The animal's blood was but a shadow. It does not take away sin. 
Sin was set aside until the time of Christ and Jesus' sacrifice for you and for me, that alone brings the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is our only hope. And all of God's people said, dude, this is a thunderously important thing to get. And honestly, it helps your understanding of the Old Testament a lot when you start to grasp some of what was going on was just modeling and looking like but it was always in the waiting and the longing for Christ to come. He is the substance. Those were but the shadow. May God get all the glory, okay? So that said, as it uh, is a huge understanding of what we have in Jesus Christ, may we celebrate all that we have in Jesus. May we lift up all that he is in our lives. May we celebrate the salvation and the forgiveness, the value shifting, the desire changing, the future of eternity that we have with him. You know, last week was a huge celebration. We try to have a celebration like this at least a couple times a year and going after it. We had a baptism celebration last week. You heard Nathan mention we had 58 people get baptized last week. Praise God for that, right? And a huge deal, amen. Man, 58 people baptized. You know, we ended up having five walk-ons that day. Man, I'm telling you, God was doing something in this room. And as people were sharing their transparent passion for Christ, that they are already saved, but they are letting everyone know that they are standing with Jesus Christ. There was a, something moving, something happening in the room as the Holy Spirit was stirring. We ended up having five walk-ons that day coming up. And uh, honestly, we actually had a couple of walk-ons from Friday, Saturday night, last minute, saying, I wanna do this, can I do it? And we ended up picking up a ton going after this. Five walk-ons in a huge way, and more than that, Holy Spirit stirring in this room. And there were people that were saying, Lord God, I need to get some things done in my life. This sin needs to be over. This hurt needs to be done. This needs to be fixed. There was stuff happening all over the place in this room. Praise God, he moves in our lives. And all of God's people said, amen, man. We ended up putting together a slide just trying to grab a little bit of what the baptisms are like. And uh, some three great photos here. We had some awesome testimonies just hearing and being able to laugh together. And then the baptism with the water element and going down into water, like into his death and up into new life. Huge celebration and the massive celebration together. The hugs and the applause and the cheers and the lifting the roof off. Man, I'm telling you, I had the privilege of baptizing uh, one person uh, who was a walk-on and ended up just during the service just getting stirred. Like, I gotta do this. And as he got in the tub to get baptized, uh, as we were talking, just giving a testimony, very real, very sincere testimony, just solid statement of who Christ is in his life and that he's already worshiping Christ, but he wants everyone to know. And uh, tears formed in his eye and started to run down his cheek as he was saying that Jesus Christ is my King and my God, I love him. And I just want everybody to know I'm worshiping him. Man, as I had the privilege of just stepping him back, as we go to baptize, we just say, because of your faith and because of the evidence of God at work, I now baptize you. And as I'm getting ready to go baptize him, he has tears coming down his cheeks as I'm saying, because of your faith and the evidence of God at work in you. Right here, you can see it right in front. It was so palpable in the moment. And being able to baptize him, and as he comes up, the applause lifting up, the family going crazy because of it celebrating. Just a huge celebrate. Man, please hear me. Jesus Christ is our answer. And all of God's people said, may we celebrate him. Amen, man. May we celebrate him with all we've got. Huge deal. 
Do you know this king? Are you worshiping this God? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ and said, Lord, please cover my yesterday. I'm ready for you to change my today and I'm ready for my tomorrow to worship you all the more. Are you in? May Jesus Christ get all the glory, okay? Point number two, thank Jesus for his obedient sacrifice once for all. Thank Jesus for his obedient sacrifice once for all. It says here, consequently, which quite frankly is just a big word for therefore, right? And uh, so he says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, let's hold right there. When Christ came into the world, when God the Son was clothed with humanity, he became fully God and fully man. When Christ came into this world for you and for me, when Jesus came to become our sacrifice, walking in this world with a physical body to make a replacement payment for me and my sin, when Jesus came into this world, he said, and just so you know, in the original language where there, that word said is actually in the present tense. Probably maybe a more proper translation would be, he is saying. When Jesus came into the world, he is saying in the ongoing form. It could mean that he actually said these exact words. It could mean that by his life, he's living it out and thunderously showing it and putting it on display. But this is the model that Christ is giving forth. These are the words as he's now quotes out Psalm chapter 40, uh, verses six through eight. Psalm chapter 40, which is actually a psalm that David wrote. He was king at the time. And Jesus is now being given these words by the Holy Spirit through the author of Hebrews saying, this is talking about the Messiah, Meshuach, Jesus Christ himself, the king of the universe. So while it's the words of a physical king, David, it's actually also the words of the heart of the Messiah, Savior, Jesus, and all that he's done for us. It says here that Jesus said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. Jesus talking to God the Father, and he's like, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. Can you imagine what most Jews felt when they heard those words? Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. What are you talking about? That's what the whole law is about, sacrifices and offerings. What are you talking about? This had to rock their world. And the reality is David actually said it back at that time. There was some understanding that there was more about the heart behind things, but there was a lot of commitment to the sacrifices and offerings. And the Messiah Savior is saying, sacrifices and offerings, that's not where it's at. They're the shadow. They're the shadow. It says, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. The real substance, me, God the Son, in bodily form. I am here, and I am the answer, and I am the substance, and I am here to give and follow the will of the Father, all for us. Him for me. Everybody just say, him for me. And Jesus is like, that's the plan, I get it. He says, but a body you have prepared for me. Now, if you actually go read Psalm chapter 40, verse verses six through eight, what it actually says there in the Hebrew is, you dug out my ears. That's what it says. Think of it like this. If you ask me to come over and help you move at your house, and I'm like, oh yeah, I can be there. You've got my hands, right? I, I don't mean that I'm only gonna like cut my hands off and leave those over there, right? I mean like my whole body's with you. 
This is a representative, right? It's a poetic statement. You have my hands. I'm in with you, man. I'm all in. And this statement here, talking about the ears, you have my awareness. You have opened my ears. You have me fully in. And in this case, quoting that out, the meaning behind it, Jesus saying, God, this body formed physically with the power of God in it and a sacrifice available for it. And I am here as that sacrifice, fully in. A representation of and in for. And a massive celebrate. The body you have prepared for me. Uh, I'm here to give a sacrifice. And uh, chose a literal uh, walkthrough to kind of switch it over to the explained meaning here of my body here physically. He says, in burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Can you imagine what that sounds like to somebody walking Old Testament law that doesn't understand Jesus. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then why are we doing this? Right, what's going on? And the answer is this whole Romans 3.25, the sin is being set aside. It wasn't about some external sacrifice. It wasn't about animal's blood. The sin is held on until the time of Christ. It is Jesus and his lamb's blood sacrifice that is the everything. That's where it all comes from and where it all leads to. Jesus is my sacrifice. He's my hope. He's my lamb. Nothing Old Testament actually gets it done. It's a shadow. Stop staring at the shadow. Time to start staring at the Christmas tree and all of its glory and all that it represents in Jesus Christ. He is awesome. He says, then I said, behold. And when we see the word behold, we say, yeah, check it out. He says, I have come to do your will, O God. Now this is God the Son saying to God the Father, I have come to do your will. See this, God the Father over the top, his will. God the Son stepping into this world, taking on human form to make a sacrifice offering for you and for me. His blood alone covers our sin. And then God the Holy Spirit pointing to Jesus Christ, transforming our souls, walking us home to glory, all about the glory of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit pointing to Jesus, Jesus making the sacrifice, God the Father's will over it all. Please hear me. The Trinity fully involved in our salvation. God loves you with all he's got. And Jesus is like, I stepped in in obedience to the Father's will and I willingly came as sacrifice. I have come to do your will, O God. And then he says, as it is written of me in the scroll of your book, as it is written of me in the scroll of your book. Um, Let's just say it this way, and God is sovereign. God the Father is over it all. And in fact, he has it all already mapped out. God knows exactly what he's doing. Jesus is like, this has been walked through from the beginning, from the foundations of the world. This is the plan. And I'm following through with what is already written in the will of the Father in the scrolls. Jesus Christ is an answer to our need. And I'm just gonna say it this way. The world loves to try to look at sin and hurt and say, I don't know if there really is a God because how could a good God allow and then start pointing to hurts? But here's the deal, man. The reason those hurts exist is because of me and you. It's because of our sin in this world. We're bringing the hurt into this world and the brokenness into this world. 
and pointing to God and trying to put the blame on him that it's somehow his fault for the sin of this world and the pain of this world. It is a complete epic miss. As we point to him and say, the sin is your problem, actually, the sin is our problem. And it's our fault. And it's our cause. And he is willing to take upon him the cost of that sin, not because he's responsible and it's his cause, but because he loves you and he's covering you and he cares for you. As we say, Jesus, you're the problem. The answer actually is, Jesus, you're the solution. As we say, God, you're not getting it. Where's your love? The answer is, there's his love. There's his power pouring in. He is our sacrifice. Do you know this God who loves you, who died for you, who rose again for you, and he alone is our hope through and through. He covers the sin of yesterday. He transforms me one degree at a time in today, and he leads my desires on to glory where I can worship him forever. Jesus Christ, he is our hope. And all of God's people said, that's the hope of scripture, man. There is no one greater how great he is. May we worship him with all we've got. Let's pray.